Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Curries. You might think improving healthcare quality is largely in the hands of the clinicians providing the care. But much of this difficult work is actually done by healthcare quality professionals who lead quality reviews, institute new protocols for safer care, and focus on performance improvement, among many other efforts. To understand more about the world of healthcare quality improvement, we're joined today by Stephanie Mercado. She's the CEO and executive director of the National Association for Healthcare Quality. Since assuming the role nine years ago, she's focused on standardizing competencies for the healthcare quality profession and increasing awareness of its value within the healthcare industry. We'll also be learning about the Healthcare Quality Workforce Report that NACU recently released. And thanks so much for joining us today. Great. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to join you. So we'd like to start with learning more about our guests and their career path. And uh, in your case, you actually have spent quite a bit of time in the healthcare association world. So tell us about that experience and what eventually led you to your current role at NACU. Sure. So I actually began my association work about 20 years ago in uh, supporting the American Orthopedic Association and the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Uh, Both of those organizations were focused on supporting physicians. And so for about the first 10, 11 years of my career, I really got to understand about a lot of the issues in the front of the house of healthcare, uh, where healthcare is delivered. As I was invited to interview for the position at NACU as the CEO and executive director, what I uh, realized is that it would be a wonderful opportunity to learn more about the work in the back of the house of healthcare and increasingly quality and safety are being driven by the back of the house of healthcare. Most certainly we see all sorts of um, clinical providers who are you know, having their clinical quality competencies play out on the front lines, but that's really leveraged by a lot of the work that's being done uh, behind the scenes for people working in healthcare quality. So I rattle off in the introduction some of the things that uh, quality professionals focus on, quality reviews, new protocols, performance improvement. But if you were in a hospital setting, for example, how would you recognize those people? Like what departments do they belong to? And how are those functions distributed in a healthcare system typically? Well, that's an interesting question because um, most organizations, quality departments were developed on the fly at a local level without the benefit of a standard. So they're all set up just a little bit differently, but some examples of where you would see quality showing up is most certainly in the quality department. Uh, There's also areas that focus on safety, risk management, um, even infection prevention, and project management and other areas like that sort of have an interface or connection to quality, but the the way that they show up at organizations is a little uh, bit different. So thinking about this in practical terms, say you had a hospital that was not happy with its infection rates. Uh, I take it the quality folks are the ones who would analyze what was going wrong, come up with a plan to improve it, train everybody. Is that the sort of function that we should keep in mind as people in our audience are thinking about what it is that the the quality professionals do that NACU represents? So I think in in part, the answer to that is yes, we definitely focus on supporting healthcare teams to improve things, including uh, infection rate, for example. 
Um, but part of that improvement also involves utilization of skills around health data analytics. So before you can figure out exactly what you want to improve, you need to know, you know, what areas are ripest for improvement. And that includes really understanding the data. Not only that, but then using that data to create information that you can share with the teams that will really help them all understand um, not only what changes need to be made, but why they need to be made. And then really being able to synthesize that to get executive engagement and buy-in. So improvement is a big topic. Health data analytics is a big area for us and others that play into that as well. So um, certainly, you know, population health and other considerations would come into the mix as well. And population health is one of the domains of quality as defined by our healthcare quality competency for Framework. Yeah, we're going to get into that. First, I want to back up, though, and have you talk about NACU itself, uh, your size, your scope, what you do for your members, what your key priorities are. Sure, of course. NACU was actually founded in 1976, and its roots are really in, uh, had been in quality assurance. So the organization was founded by a group of individuals who found themselves in uh, retrospective chart reviews, trying to understand about 10 years after Medicare came into law, what the government was spending so much money on. Over the years, the profession had evolved and really um, began to focus on things, not just looking backwards, but trying to improve things prospectively, and then really getting into some of the more current topics, as I mentioned, around health data analytics, population health, care transitions, quality leadership integration, and more. So as the organization has evolved over the years, I think it has really stood the test of time and uh, really advanced a great mission. So we began as an individual membership organization and certification organization. NACU offers the only accredited certification in healthcare quality, the CPHQ. About 15,000 individuals hold that certification today, and we have about 10,000 members of the organization as well. Furthermore, we are uh, expanding the work that we do to support healthcare organizations because we really believe that if we're going to advance our mission to improve healthcare quality and make healthcare better, that we need to work uh, on, on a larger scope, a larger scale. So working with healthcare organizations, going into their organizations to help them assess their quality workforce and plan to organize them differently, uh, more effectively, and how to really train and upskill those individuals so that we can uh, see that they are, have the potential to have their potential unleashed by their employer. So individual certification and membership, healthcare organization support. And then because of all that, we actually also have launched a new uh, division around intelligence because we're, we are getting so much data into our organization about what the workforce is doing, we found ourselves with the first and only database in the world that understands who is doing what work in healthcare quality at what uh, level in reference to the healthcare quality competency framework that we created. So we have a lot of intelligence and knowledge about what work is going on. And, and we have ambitions then to not only understand that in today's environment, but to prospectively make recommendations about how we should set things up uh, to be even better in the future. So you've mentioned the competency framework a couple of times. Let's get into that now. And have you tell us 
what the need was to develop it in the first place and how it's been developed and played out over the years. Yeah. So as healthcare has evolved, quality has kind of been a moving target. And as I mentioned, as healthcare leaders have tried to you know, put their staff structures and, and teams together, they've really built that on the fly at a local level without the benefit of a standard. So if you take that one step further, you understand that most people in healthcare quality came into the profession because they were really good at something else. So there's not a lot of academic pathways and training for people who want to pursue healthcare quality as a career, as a profession. And so what the need for us was in creating that framework was to really define uh, the career path options for people working in healthcare quality or interested in working in healthcare quality. And uh, at the end of the day, because it's such a vast framework with eight domains, 29 competency statements, and then for the purposes of the career pathing, uh, 486 skills at the foundational, proficient, and advanced levels, it's really robust framework that really gives people an idea of where they can go as individuals. And if you look at it from the broadest context, it helps organizations understand the full gestalt of quality. And so if you're a high-functioning quality organization, your team does all the things that are listed in the framework, and that's how you know you're doing quality well. It sounds like a big training challenge for the employers, or or to what extent does NACU get involved in providing that? It is a big training challenge, and we do support training uh, as well. So uh, certainly we have a lot of content that we have created for individuals who are pursuing their own career paths. So people can count on us uh, as a provider of foundational, proficient, and increasingly advanced content across all of our competency domains. And of course, the certification is really important as well. We are supporting healthcare organizations with that on scale and trying to help them really train their teams as well. You know, the challenge with that, it's not just about training. It's really also about making sure that your team is put together in the best way to activate their knowledge and their skills to do their best work. Um, I spoke with a healthcare leader the other day that said over many years, their organization sent 30,000 people to lean training and that they had never taught any of them how to work together to lean (laughs) their system. And so huge investments made in training of individuals and next to no investment made in putting all of those pieces of that really important puzzle together and activating improvement in those areas. So for us, it's about training, but it's also about Uh, structure and process and roles and responsibilities that are needed to help uh, teams do their best work and really support patient outcomes in all the best ways. I'm wondering how this work has been received, you know, generally speaking. Um, Do you think quality is perceived differently within healthcare systems as a result of this? Do you think it's a better understood and appreciated function? I think that there's a lot of different views of what quality is and even what safety is. Um, And so we are on a journey to really change the perception of what it is. 
Um, historically, quality has been viewed as more passive, more retrospective, more focused on regulatory and compliance, check the box, jump through the hoop, pass the test, all the things that everybody hates about quality, frankly. <laughs> and um, our view is to make it more prospective and actually solve problems for patients and even the workforce who is delivering care to patients. So from a a leadership perspective, are people viewing quality differently? I would say they are starting to, and we really need to let them know as well that if they're not sure that quality has worked, which I sometimes hear from healthcare executives, oh yeah, Stephanie, we tried that quality thing for a long time. It didn't work. Uh, We're moving on to something like transformation, right? (laughs) Like transformation is a word. It's not a plan, right? So start with that. And then secondly, I think we really need to understand that if any healthcare executive thinks that quality didn't work for them, they did it wrong. And so they really need to reevaluate their perspective on, on all the things that are included in quality and really make sure their team is prepared and skilled to do the work because there are not career pathways that are well advanced in this profession. So the responsibility for educating and training and preparing the workforce is with the employers. And so they really need to get engaged and own this issue because from NACU's perspective, you know, we see quality and safety as both the process and the product of all of our work in healthcare. And so we've just, you know, really got to focus on that and invest in the workforce that's really advancing these uh, very important ambitions. So you recently released a report that took a fresh look at the quality workforce and whether it's actually advancing the priorities that you all have on quality, safety, equity, among other things. And as I understand it, you found that the focus of the quality workforce is narrower than you would wish it to be. Right. So what our report finds is that we are further along in our journey with regards to the regulatory and accreditation space, the patient safety space, and the quality leadership and integration, uh, which is the kind of putting it together part of making sure that stakeholders are working together to pursue quality. Um, Those findings make sense to us because of all of the work that's been done, like I said, over six or more decades to really, you know, regulate quality and to regulate uh, to a certain extent safety. And uh, of course, the report to Eris Human was instrumental in really getting people to understand that safety needed to be a priority. So when we looked at the data, we said, yeah, that makes sense that we would be further along in those areas. And of course, you know, still a long runway for improvement in those as well. But what we found was that the areas that are most important, we think, including safety, of course, but most important for the future of healthcare um, are the things that were the workforce is performing at lower ends of the competency spectrum. So those include health data analytics, areas of performance and process improvement that are about change management that are about project management, right? We got to do things differently. That's a whole uh, interesting skill set to deploy. And areas like population health and care transitions and quality review and accountability, which is huge because what that really involves is measures and measurement, providing feedback loops to all of the different providers of healthcare. And then the payment models are associated with that. So measurement, feedback loops, and payment models, that's a huge part of the future of healthcare. And so these are the areas that the workforce is not very far along on and that we have a lot of work to do. So when people say, well, quality 
you know, maybe didn't work for my organization, we would say, well, it's probably because the emphasis um, of your organization, like many others across the country that we work with, is always those three areas. So if you're not covering all of your bases, you wouldn't achieve all of your goals. So what's the reaction, the reception been to this? And what are you telling the health systems they need to do to turn this around? So the response has been amazing. And we get a big thank you, NACU, for helping us understand this issue, which is really rewarding um, and fun for our organization to get to explore new territory and create new solutions to solve a lot of the old problems in healthcare. When we think about what people are doing with this and how it's being activated, um, I haven't looked at my tally sheet recently, maybe about a week or so ago, but we've had something like 4,000 unique downloads of that report in less than a month. So huge amount of engagement and traction. We've had a lot of our um, stakeholders go to our website, uh, download a toolkit where we've given them PowerPoint presentation with talking points so that they can communicate this message in their local environments. And so we are really mobilizing a lot of people to understand these issues and to narrate them with us. So very positive. Um, the next steps and kind of action items were across three categories. First was with the employers. What we're recommending to employers is that they take a broader and deeper view of what quality is and that they commit to covering the bases that are outlined in the full healthcare quality competency framework. We also recommend to them that they uh, really take ownership of training, education, and skilling for their quality workforce and that they pay for it because our data tells us that about 50% of the people who are getting educated in quality and safety are paying for it out of their own pocket. And uh, we see employers supporting all sorts of education and training. And we think uh, it is critically important that they support that in quality and safety, which like I said, is both the process and the product of our work. Uh, additionally, we called on regulatory organizations, rating organizations to really understand that there has been a lot of focus on what needs to change in healthcare for a very long time, layers and layers of rules and requirements and things that must be accomplished, but there has been too little focus on how to change it. So years and years, what needs to change in healthcare? And today we're saying, this is the how. And we think that the, the organizations that are um, making the rules should also create some structural standards that tell healthcare organizations they should actually support their workforce to do that work well. And so we want them to start making sure that the employers are training their teams and certifying their teams and preparing them to do their best work. And then finally, the third stakeholder group that we spoke to in that report was individuals. So what we want them to understand is you got, you got to be responsible for your own self too. Right. And so we really want individuals engaging in their own professional development, lifelong learning, and really um, taking ownership at the same time as the employers are taking ownership so that both uh, stakeholder groups are stepping up together to make sure that they're advancing quality and safety. You have your hands full. I actually spent about 10 years at an academic medical center. So when you were talking about all of the requirements and everybody saying what has to be done and how to fix it, uh, it really rang true. And I know how incredibly complicated this is. 
but also how incredibly important. I mean, it goes well beyond patient care and affects a system's, you know, legal situation, financial situation, everything. Yeah, I think healthcare has gotten really good at making easy things hard. And so what we like to do at NACU and what we think the competency framework really offers is an opportunity to make hard things easy, or at least easier. And that we also can focus people on the right work so that we're not sort of bogged down and just wiped out with all of the reporting requirements. Um, but we you know, can really shift the focus to the things that matter most to people working in healthcare, which is making healthcare better and helping people, uh, not just watching the same mistakes and, and things happen all the time. So we have solutions for that that we're really excited about. Oh, that's great. So one of our favorite questions for guests is uh, to give us some direction. We're a teaching company. We love to fill knowledge gaps. Is there a topic, and it could be related to this, it could be something else, that you really care about where you think people just don't understand it and you would say osmosis make a video about that what would that be yeah there is um so i just actually got back from the jefferson school of population health's uh, annual colloquium david nash has uh, founded that program and has done a beautiful job of putting the program together and is now followed by billy oglesby who is the new dean there one of the things that I think that people just in general don't understand is the complexity of healthcare with regards to all the personal nuances that patients really bring into the mix and the effect that um, patients and community has on healthcare. So there are a lot of important papers and research and you know thought leadership done about what really affects healthcare. And we know that zip code affects healthcare we know that education is a huge, huge driver of healthcare and health. And so I think that people think that if a patient goes to a doctor, they're going to, you know, get fixed, you know, whatever their ailment was that they could get supported. But the challenge is, is they go home to where they live and their home or their community or their family or their, you know, care situation may not be conducive for them to get better from whatever their situation is. And that really is not good for the patients. And it also is a real reason why we are seeing um, costs just spiral out of control in healthcare is because we're treating things in a very specific and acute way and not understanding the full environment that the individual is a part of uh, that may be barriers to them, you know, getting better. So they keep coming back to healthcare and we, we keep having them to have to go through that and, and keep paying for all those expenses too. So I think some just knowledge for your group about the social determinants of health, what population health is, and also the, the healthcare and uh, cost components of those topics would be really important. Super important. You know, the classic example is a physician who will tell somebody who needs to lose weight, uh, get more exercise and leave it at that without understanding that the person lives maybe in a bad neighborhood or there's no park nearby. They don't have any way to exercise uh, safely. So taking that whole patient's life into account and identifying all the obstacles that there might be yeah. to them complying with you know the treatment plan and the recommendations, that's, that's where the game is. Yeah. An another similar example would be, you know, a patient who has uh, uncontrolled asthma, who continues to go back to the emergency department and, you know, is, is struggling and no sooner do they get stabilized and sent home 
then they're back at the emergency department again. And why? It's because of poor living conditions, poor environmental factors, air. And so um, we have seen healthcare organizations, in addition to prescribing medication and things like that, prescribe a window air conditioning unit for their patient. And the the patient will literally kind of waddle out with it uh, from the emergency department uh, because it's been given to them so that their living conditions can be better so that their health can be better. It's just amazing to see um, those types of things. Same diabetic patients often are not in that situation because they're out of medicine. They're in the situation because they're out of food. And so sometimes just feeding people makes them well. And so those would be some of the topics that would definitely surface if you covered a subject like that. No, that's a great, great suggestion. Appreciate that. I'm afraid to say we're going to have to wrap it up there. We're out of time, but I want to thank you very much, Stephanie Mercado, for being with us today and wish you all the best in your, as I mentioned, incredibly complicated, but incredibly important work that you're doing there at NACU. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and I hope we talk again soon. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.